Hello, and welcome to the NPRD podcast with nurse practitioner and registered dietitian Robin Kivit. Eating disorders, body image, medicine, they are all interconnected. But with so many programs, techniques, and advice to choose from, it's easy to be overwhelmed. Robin, with more than 25 years of experience as a nurse practitioner and registered dietitian, offers help and hope for everyone, families, children, and adults. Along with veteran talk show host and good friend, Jordan Rich, Robin invites you to learn much more right here on the NPRD Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the NPRD podcast. We have dietitian Jessica Setnick with us. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you. Jessica knows her stuff, but doesn't take herself too seriously. She has 25 years of experience helping individuals experiencing eating disorders and is known to dietitians worldwide as an author, speaker, and creator of the Eating Disorders Boot Camp Training Workshop. Jessica's retired from patient care and spends her working hours consulting with nutrition professionals on their challenging situations and volunteering with IFED, which is the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians Access to Care Project. Hear all about this and more today. I'm so glad you're with me. Me too. And gosh, it's been a chaotic day here so far. And this is like a moment of calm that I can really focus in on you. So thank you for providing that. Oh, happy to. So I always like to say how we met, or I met the guests that are on. I think we met at Fancy, the Food and Mm -hmm. Nutrition Conference in Exeter. You know, I feel like I've known you so long. I don't even know when we met. I think that's like a fleeting moment in my mind. I think we met because Neva. Oh, introduced us? I believe it. Yeah. So Neva is a is another dietitian who's a friend of of Jessica and mine, both personally and professionally. So so grateful to have you on. I'd love to hear more about where you're going with the dietitian speakers group and boot camp. Please tell us. Okay, so I'll kind of start at the beginning. I was becoming an eating disorder dietitian sort of at the dawn of the internet, which is a hilarious thing to say because it makes us sound so old, but it really was important in the advancing of my career. And I'll explain how this all ties into your question. When I was first working in the children's hospital in the eating disorder program that was just getting started, that was when the academy, it was called ADA at the time, but there was one listserv for all academy members and people, that was it, just the one. And people asked all kinds of questions on there. And whenever I saw an eating disorder related question, I would answer. And this was really game changing for the field because If you weren't a dietitian at that time or you weren't an adult at that time, so we're talking about like 1998, before that, if a dietitian had a patient with an eating disorder that checked into their hospital and they had no idea what to do, they would literally have to go to the phone, call information, say, let's say they were in West Texas, and they'd say, could you connect me with the hospital in Dallas? And then they would say, could I have the nutrition department? And then they would say, do you have a dietitian that does anything with eating disorders that I could talk to? And they would say no. And they would hang up and they would call information and say, could I have a hospital in Houston? Like that's literally how you would have to get information. And this was like, you could type in a question in the morning, go see half your patients and at lunchtime come down and there'd be an answer there on your computer from another dietitian. 
So this was a game changer. And since I was answering those questions, I sort of became known as someone who knew a lot about pediatric eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So at some point after I went into private practice, I decided I would do a workshop and I came up with eating disorders boot camp. And I thought I was just going to do it the one time in Dallas, but I posted it on this national listserv just to say, whoever wants to come, come. And someone emailed me privately and said, would you, I won't make it to Dallas, but would you ever bring your workshop to Montana? And I was like, okay, great. So that's how it started was I just started traveling around where people wanted to hear eating disorders boot camp. And from that, I became more of a general eating disorder speaker. I still spoke yeah. only on eating disorders, but I would be invited to a conference or something like that, or I'd submit a proposal to a conference to talk about eating disorders. And so fast forward 15 or 20 years, I really developed this reputation as a speaker. I eventually closed my private practice to, to be a speaker. And people would then call me and say, how did you get to be a speaker? Can you coach me on that? And that leads me to the speaking guide. So it, it all was very organic. I didn't start out saying, I'm going to write a speaking guide and try to encourage other dietitian speakers. But that's what happened because people were asking me for advice about that. Just like people used to ask me for advice about eating disorders, it transitioned to people asking for advice about speaking. So that's when I wrote a dietitian's guide to professional speaking. Yeah. And then I started this dietitian speakers Facebook group that you mentioned. So I remember that. I remember the ADA and uh -huh. you know, being a dietitian in the early yeah. Of that list serve. And one of the things, and I'm just going to segue a minute, I've, I've started two Google groups with concomitant listers for nurse practitioners in okay. the field of eating disorders yeah. just recently. So yeah. your inspiration is far reaching. But it also, we talk a lot of, on this podcast with other entrepreneurs, like a lot of people are in private practice or doing other mm -hmm. in the field and just hearing how you're career has segued so organically is so interesting. I agree. And I feel like even just to go to another example, I did the eating disorders boot camp and it had a manual, right? It took like a year to put together all the handouts and everything for the manual. And then I would take it with me. Either I would send spiral bound books in a box. That's what I did later. Or the first one for Montana, I literally brought the the papers with me and then went to Staples in my rental car and bought three ring binders and sat in my hotel room and put them in the three ring binders. It was a, a big manual and people started calling and saying, oh, my intern borrowed my manual and never gave it back. Can I have another one? Or I carry my manual around in my pocket every day. I need, I, I, I would love to have more. And I thought this is a really bulky kind of thing to be carrying around all day. We need a pocket guide. And I modeled it after the drug and nutrient interaction pocket yes. guide. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that even that was organic. I wasn't planning to write a pocket guide, but because people said I'm carrying it around in my pocket, I said, well, we need a pocket size guide. And so I sort of condensed it and that led to having my first book. And then again, organically, I got a call from the academy and they said, okay, this is again, back in the old days, I don't know if they have this now, but back then you could call this 1-800 number if you had a nutrition question and they had librarians sitting there with reference books all around them and they would answer your question. And so someone called from the academy and said, so the librarians of the academy said they are referencing your eating disorders clinical pocket guide all the time. Why doesn't the academy have an eating disorder pocket guide? And so they came to me and said, would you allow us to republish your guide? And I said, well, no, I wouldn't, but I could write a new one using the academy format. And yeah. so I did that. And that's where the book that you just held up came from mm -hmm. is because, again, it was organic. It was like, 
from the Eating Disorders Bootcamp Manual came the Eating Disorders Pocket Guide, came the Academy Eating Disorders Pocket Guide. And none of these things were really planned. Even IFED wasn't planned. Someone asked me one day, why doesn't the Academy have an Eating Disorders DPG? And I gave her like this 20 minute long story of why not. And then at the end, she said, well, I still don't understand why not. <clears throat> like I had basically explained to her the history, but it didn't really explain why not. And so right then and there, we just decided we'll start our own organization since the Academy doesn't have anything just for eating disorder dietitians. And voila, the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians was born. So I guess if I had a message to give to anyone that's listening that is entrepreneurial, I would just say, look for a need and fill it rather than trying too hard to find what is my big million dollar idea. Sometimes it's just what's missing in the field that no one else thought of yet, or maybe lots of people thought of, but no one actually implemented yet. Or you're doing it differently. And just so the yeah, so the listeners know I was holding up Jessica's um, authored eating disorders, the pocket guide from the Academy. Mine actually says Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So it's the older one, but I think you had said that your third edition. Oh, the third edition will be coming out, I think, in the fall, but it's always a long process from submitting your manuscript to getting the editing and then having the the reviewers review it. And this time I asked for something very specific. I didn't want the typical two reviewers. Every reviewer of the book has had the same identities as me socially. You know, I said I wanted four reviewers this time and I wanted them to all have different identities than me. So I wanted it to sort of be proofread by people of different backgrounds so that I could make sure that that everyone was included in this yeah. edition. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me more about where you see the speakers, like dietitians in the speakers. So I started a website called dietitianspeakers.com and I was really like gung-ho behind it for about a year. I had an intern that was working on it and she was interviewing dietitian speakers and we were posting their interviews and posting articles and things. And that was really awesome. And then a couple of years ago, I sort of had this feeling of burnout and overwhelm. And I had a really honest sort of moment with myself. And I thought I have to really look at all the things I'm doing and figure out what I have to prioritize. And it was kind of around maybe a little bit, but maybe it was before COVID or right during COVID, but speaking was not a thing, right? During COVID. And so I was like, I have this beautiful website. It's really fun to work on, but it doesn't make any money, not one cent. And so I really need to prioritize what the world is asking of me. And what the world is asking of me right now is eating disorders. Every eating disorder program is full. Outpatient eating disorder dietitians are not retiring, even though they were ready to retire because there's so many patients. People are opening up more days of the week. People are hiring more dietitians. Dietitians needing training for eating disorders is where I am needed. Speaking coaching is nothing right now. That is not where I'm needed. So I just had to sort of rearrange my brain thinking I thought I was going into this like dietitian speakers new world, but the actual real world was in COVID and that's not, that wasn't realistic. So I put all that on pause. Fast forward now to 2024, speaking is coming back. Mm. Dietitians now are more interested in the dietitian speaking aspect. So I've sort of revived the dietitian speakers group on Facebook, and I'm hoping to revive speaker dietitianspeakers.com. All the information, the great information is there. We just haven't been adding things to it, but 
because I don't want to have like advertising and stuff to make money. That's not the point of it. Um, I do have to sort of remind myself that that is a labor of love and a volunteer project. (sighs) And so it's hard for me, even though it's really fun to put it in the priority list and I have to, you know, I have a business, I have to make a living. That's just everyone's plight, let's say, unless you're independently wealthy or funded by a grant, I guess. And so I will continue working on both and hope that I have the opportunity to spend more time on dietitianspeakers.com. The way of the world shifted. So you put more energy into one aspect and I completely agree with you. Like I was working Friday nights till eight, nine o'clock. I was working weekends again during, during the pandemic you know, all that has given us some silver linings, right? Like lots of virtual care, but I'm glad to hear the speaking is coming back. because It's definitely coming back. I mean, just to give you an example, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, I was thinking I'm going to do a speaker's boot camp for dietitians. Yeah. And that is now coming to pass. So just now, 2024, four years later, I feel like we are at a place where speaking is actually in-person speaking is coming back. I mean, online speaking is obviously amazing now, but there's such a huge difference between speaking on a stage. And just a couple months ago, I spoke to a conference of transplant dietitians Mm. about eating disorders, the energy level. So I give lots of energy wherever I'm speaking, but it's so much harder to drum up that energy when I'm sitting at home talking to my computer it's so much easier to be energetic on stage with people feeding you that energy back. I loved it so much that I applied to speak at a ton of conferences this spring. And thank God I did not get accepted to speak at all of them because that would have been very hectic. But I'm I'm starting to travel to speak again. And so I'm hopeful to get to connect with people in person like you. We spoke together on a panel, but I yes. haven't seen you in years now oh, since okay. then. So yeah. I'm looking forward to being with people in person again. Oh, and did I say that speaking boot camp is actually happening this summer? So I'm planning it for end of July. Tell us how folks can join your the eating disorders boot camp. And this actually, no, tell us because you were talking about the speaking. Yeah, well, I can tell you both. Yeah. Okay. So for eating disorders boot camp, that's completely online now. So eatingdisordersbootcamp.com is where people can go to get information about that. For Dietitian Speakers Bootcamp, and I'm actually going to change the name because I think it's a little confusing for people. So it's going to be something like Dietitian Speakers Money Making Bootcamp or something or Money Making Workshop, just something that makes it sound a little bit more different from Eating Disorders Bootcamp. Yeah. And so the speaking workshop, the best place to find out about that is to join on Facebook, join Dietitian Speakers. You have to answer a couple of questions to join just because we had a lot of spam bots coming in. Mm-hmm. And so, but everyone's accepted. Everyone will be accepted. And so dietitian speakers on Facebook, and that's where I'll be posting information about the upcoming workshop. And then of course, if you go to jessicasetnick.com and just hover there for a second, a pop-up will come up and you can sign up for my email newsletter, which everything will end up in there eventually. Yeah. So I'd love to pivot just a little bit, Jessica, to where you see the field going, which may include where you want it to go, (laughs) Um, where, you know, so I'll let you take it away that in this. And when you ask me where I see the field going, do you mean the field of eating disorders or do you see the field of dietetics in general? That is a great question. Or dietitians in eating disorders specifically? I think eating disorders more specifically, you know, this podcast is really for clinicians in the field. So any specificity, 
I think is, is helpful. Okay. Yeah. So where I see the field going, there's two aspects of where I see the field going. Maybe they're predictions and hopes as opposed to like what I actually see happening, but, but they're all of the above. And so um, I do hope that the field goes in all three of these directions. Um, one is more diversity and better acceptance of the fact that it is much harder for people from diverse backgrounds to get into academia, to get into grad school, to to even if they're accepted, still the financial burden of that is so high. Mm-hmm. And so we need more people with different backgrounds in our field, period. And so I'm just barely, barely, barely starting to see an awareness of that. And yeah. sort of my, let's call it my my motto when it comes to that is not everyone with an eating disorder wants clinician with their exact same identities, but wouldn't it be nice if everyone who did want that had the option? And right now they don't, not even close. If you want someone local or if you want someone that takes your insurance, I mean, these are all different things that start sort of weeding out people. And then you're left with sort of this very homogenous population of treaters. And so we really need more diversity in our field. And to do that, we have to have more equity and more inclusion in the processes that get people into the field. Mm -hmm. So there's that, number one. Um, Number two is I would like to see, and I hope to see, not sure I'm seeing it yet, but a reversal of the business model that we saw over the past 20 years, which is all the small eating disorder places and programs being sort of swallowed up by the big ginormous programs. And I think that there's an economy of scale, but I think we've gone past that to the point where there's such impersonality in the eating disorder programs that people who make the decisions at the top of the chain are so many levels removed from the people actually getting care at the bottom of the chain. And I would like to think of it as the people getting care are at the top of the chain and everyone else is the foundation supporting them, but it's the opposite. It ends up feeling like more patience is what feeds the paychecks of the people at the top of the chain, which are investors who don't even know what they're even invested in, right? If you're invested in a venture capital fund, you may have no idea what programs you're even invested in. All you know is you want a good return at the end of the year. So the the trend that I hope we will see is that the opposite starts happening. And, and from a purely financial point of view, I think it, because that's what's driving the industry, unfortunately, right now, is that at one point, the industry was being driven by the idea that you could buy up smaller programs, aggregate them together into a big nationwide chain and then sell that big nationwide chain for more than you paid for each individual place put together. At some point, you end up with only a few players, and that's what we have now. Mm -hmm. And so I think in order for those players to sell in five years and make back their investment for their shareholders, they're going to have to do something different. They're not going to be able to aggregate little places together and sell them for more than they bought them for. They're going to have to start selling off smaller parts so mm-hmm. that when they sell everything, they end up selling the smaller parts off for more than they bought the big conglomerate for. Mm-hmm. And so via that, I think we might possibly start to see an increase in your smaller programs. If we could get better insurance coverage for smaller yeah. programs, because there are rules about, you know, you're a boutique hospital if you have fewer than this many beds and things like that, certain 
you know, programs, insurances, whatever, won't pay for those things. If we could get better insurance coverage for eating disorder treatment, it would be more financially possible to have smaller programs. But because conglomerating programs means you have bigger programs and more bed count, you can get different kinds of licensing and different kinds of payment. And so it's actually more financially viable to have a bigger program. And I don't think that we're necessarily serving our patients well. And I'll also add as sort of a part B corollary to that dream there is that when you have patients that need care, I don't know that the patients are actually getting bad care. They may be getting not the best care. They may be getting less personalized care, but it's the people on the front line that are staying after hours. It's the dietitians and the nurses who are doing things that are technically not in their job description. So the patients are probably getting pretty good care. It's the clinicians, the therapists, the nurses, the dietitians, maybe even the behavioral health techs who are getting totally burnt out. Yeah. And so there's a lot of turnover. So that's also a downside to the way the model works now. So like I said, the people at the top have no idea what's going on, but the patients aren't necessarily getting terrible care because of that, because there'd be a big outcry. The patients are probably getting pretty good care, but it's at the expense of the mental health and the longevity in the in the job of the people on the front line. And then the third thing I'd like to see in our field, and I'm starting to see in our field, and I'm hoping will continue in our field, is insurance companies straightening out their system for covering MNT for eating disorders. Because right now I've been working, and this is just with one insurance company, but through IFED, I've been working with this one insurance company and it's been six months and they are like, oh, we've got it all straightened out. And then every day I get a call from another dietitian saying my patient's claim was denied. I did everything they told me to do. And that is I can't even count the number of hours that that is sucking up of dietitians time. People are ready to quit. Definitely people have stopped taking insurance because of it. And so that leads to fewer people having access to care. And when you think about the things that insurance covers, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's some very specific things I'm thinking of that are kind of absurd that nutrition covers. And yet nutrition, I'm sorry, insurance covers and insurance doesn't cover actual credible care with a registered and licensed dietitian, like that's nonsense. And so there's so many reasons why, but they're all fixable. It's just a matter of the insurance companies having the will to change it and finding the right person because all of the people I've talked to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's true, but what are you going to do about it? And so, for example, people all over the country are getting their dietitian visits for their eating disorder denied because it says we don't cover vitamin infusion. Well, Nobody sent you a claim for a vitamin infusion. So what's the point? Um, Other situations are people are getting denials and they say things like you're denied because this service isn't covered, but really it's because their dietitian is out of network or something. So they're not even getting the right information. Or they say a denial that says this isn't in your plan, but really the insurance company just needs more medical information, medical, a medical necessity letter would have solved it. But instead of sending, it's like an automatic robot, right? Right. That sends out a letter and it doesn't say, please ask your dietitian to send us more medical information. And then we can cover your visit. It says not cover. And so how would someone who is not a mind reader know what to do? So that's the kind of thing that I feel like there is a, a wish to cover it, but it's not working. And there's so many different ways that advocates like 
IFED are working on it. There's also, there was a comment period on the PIA. There's legislation called the Nutrition Care Act. Any dietitian who's hearing my voice that wants to stay on top of this, just please join IFED because we send out information and updates and action alerts, just ifed.org. And we would be happy to keep you informed on this. It's just it's just a nightmare. And so when someone is already struggling with an eating disorder or their family members experiencing an eating disorder, they have enough stress and enough heartache that they do not have to actually, they should not have to also deal with this complete and utter headache that just should not exist. I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like we we say this to our patients all the time. You know, if a claim is denied, please tell us what exactly what is needed so that we can change it because they get more information than we do. Right. And it's it's extremely frustrating. It takes up so much time and because of my dual credentialing, it's it's so disheartening that the receipts that we give folks to submit if we are out of network, are bolded and highlighted, like they couldn't be more clear. I hope the same. And I've been a member of IFED for years. I can't remember how many. So just tell us one more time that information, because this reaches people all over the world and it's an international federation. It is international. Only dietitians or students becoming dietitians are eligible to join, but you don't have to be an eating disorder specialist at all. You just have to be eating disorder interested. And it's only 25 U.S. dollars to join. And we waive the fee for anyone who asks for any reason. We don't ask questions. If that's a burden, we don't care. Just join our group. Just send an email and say, may I please have my membership fee waived? The website is ifed.org, I-F-E-D-D. So International Federation Eating Disorder Dietitians. Yes, we have uh, about nine 900 members now, most in North America, but some in other parts of the world. And it's just such an incredible organization. I love having a voice together, which is so much stronger than each of our individual voices. So we've talked about a lot of your different career endeavors. This is why I enjoy talking to you because you know, just of how you've moved from seeing patients one-on-one to really going on to these other areas and and making change, like really making the change happen. And it's very inspiring. And also I'm looking forward to my third edition coming out in the fall, Pocket Guide to Eating Disorders. So I just really appreciate your time and we'll have you on again. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for joining us for the NPRD podcast with Robin Kievit. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate and review us and share this valuable podcast with friends and family. Help and hope is found here. For more, just go to robinkievit.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-K-I-E-V-I-T.com or check out the NPRD.com.